It's time for Legally Speaking. Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers joining us once again. Good morning, Michael. How you doing? Good morning. Always great to be here. Some interesting items on the agenda today. A no evidence motion here I'm reading. Unsuccessful in a case of a police officer charged with assault causing bodily harm. There's a lot here, so help us understand this. Indeed there is. Uh, and it's, I think, a good opportunity. The case is interesting, and uh, I think it's a good opportunity to discuss what is a no evidence motion or a directed verdict, and why didn't it work here? Um, and this is a case which is going on right now. Uh, in Nanaimo. And it's a case uh, involving an RCMP officer there who is charged with assault causing bodily harm as a result of an interaction that occurred uh, at the police station following an arrest. And the fact pattern, uh, and this is laid out by the judge in this application, is that the complainant in this matter was a woman who was out celebrating her 19th birthday uh, and apparently doing uh, perhaps a bit too much celebrating uh, as she wound up so drunk, uh, her friends phoned the police for help, being concerned for her safety. Hmm. Uh, the police officer showed up uh, in response to the friend's call for help um, and tried to find a safe place for this woman to go, uh, but couldn't find any safe place for her to go because of how drunk she was. Hmm. Uh, and so the police officer decided to then arrest her uh, for being in a state of intoxication in a public place, which is indeed something that you can be arrested for. Hmm. It's not an offense, but it's something the police are permitted to arrest somebody for. Like if you've got a person so drunk, you know, they're going to wander around and wander into traffic or hurt themselves, or can't take care of themselves, mm-hmm. police can arrest them, right? Probably Similar to an apprehension, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so that's what they did. The police officer arrested this extremely intoxicated 19-year-old uh, and brought her back to the police station. Uh, the officer then assist, uh, got help from another female member and was trying to book this woman into cells to sleep it off, basically. Uh, the woman was resisting physically, um, and uh, they were then, the two of them, the uh, accused uh, off male officer and female officer, were trying to get this woman down a narrow hallway to put her into cells so that she could sleep it off. Um, and while going down the hallway, the woman continued to resist physically. Um, and there was a video recording of it. Um, and the video evidence showed that the drunken woman uh, was trying to resist the two police officers, uh, tried to uh, kick at them or sweep uh, out with one of her feet towards the accused police officer, hmm. resulting in him then taking her down to the ground. The woman uh, who was being arrested, the drunken woman, uh, tries to then punch or does punch, it's a little unclear, the male police officer in the face uh, or in that area. And the video shows several punches uh, being directed towards him by the drunken woman on the ground. In res- uh, as soon as that happens, the male police officer strikes the woman, the drunken woman, in the face once. Um, and that results in, unfortunately, serious injury I think it's a broken bone around her eye. Um, And so she's seriously hurt. And that's the basis for the assault causing bodily harm charge that the police officer is facing. Hmm. And so the Crown called all of its uh, evidence about these things, you know, the female police officer who was there, another person working there, playing the video, laid out all of the evidence that they had. And that's the way it would work in any criminal case. The crown goes first, and that's because people are presumed to be innocent. You don't have to prove your innocence. The crown's going to prove you're guilty. 
So the Crown would go first in terms of calling all of its evidence. And so they did that. And the judge heard from the other police officer and watched the video and so has a very clear, you know, pretty good understanding of what was going on here. And so the Crown finished its case. And then the lawyers for the police officer made what's referred to as a, a no evidence motion, sometimes referred to as an application for a directed verdict. Usually that latter language would apply if it was a jury trial, right? Which this was not. It was just a judge hearing the case. Mm. So ordinarily it would be called a no evidence motion. And when that happens, uh, the idea is that before the accused person would be called upon to decide, like, are you going to testify or are you going to call evidence? It's an application saying to the judge, look, you just cannot be convicted uh, on the evidence that the Crown has led. Um, And the test that a judge would apply amounts to a test of sort of, is it possible or could a theoretically properly instructed jury convict somebody based on the evidence that the Crown has led? And so, for example, if there was some element of evidence on which there was just no evidence of it, like let's say, for example, in a case, the Crown led no evidence to show that the accused person was the person who committed the offense, nothing, right? Uh, Then that should be the end of it, right? The person shouldn't have to climb up in the stand and deny it. And so the argument made by the lawyers for for the police officer involved Section 25 of the Criminal Code. And that's a section that provides additional protection for a police officer uh, who is using physical force when they are arresting somebody. Um, and it is something in addition to the general self-defense provisions that would apply to anyone. And this Section 25 of the Criminal Code says that a, a peace officer and every person lawfully assisting a peace officer is justified in using force that is intended or likely to cause death or grievous bodily harm if, and then there are a number of requirements, and then the police officer is proceeding with a lawful arrest. Yes, it appears that to be what was going on here, right? This arrest for being in a state of intoxication in a public place. Yes. And then it goes on with various other things. And then the peace officer or another person used the force, believes on reasonable grounds, the force is necessary for the purpose of protecting the police officer or a person lawfully assisting the police officer. So the idea there is that Police can use very serious degrees of force that may well kill somebody or cause uh, grievous bodily harm, which is a pretty high, uh, that's pretty serious harm. Yes. Um, if they are arresting somebody and the police officer reasonably believes that's necessary to protect them or protect somebody else. Mm. Um, that's why, you know, for example, let's say a police officer trying to arrest somebody and the person's running at them with a knife or something, they can shoot them, right? Yeah, Look, exactly. You know, I'm not going to be stabbed here, right? One of us, I'm going home at the end of my shift, right? Um, And so the uh, police officer's lawyers argued that, look, all of this is on videotape. We can see the woman striking or apparently striking the police officer in or about the face after trying to sweep him with her leg. You know, how could a properly instructed jury convict on this evidence? It should be over now. He shouldn't have to uh, testify or explain himself. It mm-hmm. should just be that should be it. Uh, but in this case, the application was not successful, and that's because of how a no evidence motion or an application for a directed verdict works. And when a person's making that kind of an application, 
the judge is not deciding would they convict the person or are they satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt. What they're asking themselves is could uh, a jury, if they drew inferences most favorable to the prosecution, right, could they convict? And so the judge concluded that, look, even though you've got this video that looks like the woman is punching the police officer who responded with a single blow to the eye. And so when you look at Section 25 and say, look, you know, would that person believe that the force was necessary to protect themselves while they're getting punched? (laughs) Right. That's a compelling argument. The judge concluded that, well, that's not the only inference that could be drawn. And on a no evidence motion, they have to ask themselves, could on that evidence, a theoretical jury draw some inference that would lead to a conviction. For example, if a jury were to say, oh, well, they drew the inference that he punched her to teach her a lesson or to get back at her yeah. or because he was angry. Uh, well, that could be a conviction. That doesn't, your Section 25 doesn't save you as a police officer if you decide to just, you know, teach somebody a lesson or get back at them for what they've done. And so the judge concluded that even though I have a video recording of this, and even though there appears to be evidence of her physically attacking the police officer, that is not the only inference that could be drawn. Right, yeah. The most favorable inference for the Crown would be the officer was just beating her up because he was angry or something. Hmm. And so for that reason, the no evidence motion was unsuccessful. Interesting. And when that happens, it's now over to the accused, the police officer, to then make a decision about, you know, do you want to testify or do you wish to call other evidence? And so the case isn't over, but it will have to proceed and he'll need to decide whether he wishes to testify because the judge concluded that even though they're not deciding the case, it's a circumstance where you could be convicted on the evidence. And so that's how a no evidence motion works. And that's what the police officer will now have to decide uh, in his ongoing trial uh, up in Nanaimo. I always find questions like, could this happen to be interesting? Because the answer is almost always yes, if one is permitted to imagine increasingly unlikely scenarios that are not currently being considered but happen. Like, for example, if the woman punched the officer on tape and then the woman surrendered and said, I'm sorry, but you don't see that on tape. And then the officer punches her in the eye and breaks her orbital. Obviously, that could lead to a conviction. Perhaps that information was omitted. Like, we can always imagine um, exceedingly unlikely in some case scenarios that answer yes to the question could this happen so i often find it's it's usually attached to something could a reasonable person come to this conclusion then of course that has more questions so i always find it fascinating how that fits together you're absolutely right and these things are tough and human affairs are endlessly variable so um you know it'll be interesting to see how it plays out it it seems to me the officer's got uh, some clear lines of potential defense here Mm -hmm. but uh, that it's going to be over to him now to make a decision. For example, does he wish to testify and explain to the judge why he did what he did, right? We can see on the video what he what he physically did, yeah. right? But as with many things in the criminal law, it turns on the issue of why did somebody do something? The mens rea, what was your purpose in doing that? Yeah. Were you punching this woman back uh, in order to protect yourself because she was striking you? Or were you punching her back because you got angry, for example? And so like many things, it turns on the why, not just the what. Um, And that comes up in other circumstances, too, like in uh, shoplifting cases, right? You know, if a person walks out of this, you know, picks up the chocolate bar, looks furtively left and right and sprints for the door, (laughs) you can probably conclude they meant to steal the chocolate bar. Indeed, yes. But on the other hand, if somebody's hands were completely overloaded and they pick up the chocolate bar, it's things are falling to the ground. They put it in their pocket, go up, pay for everything else and walk out without paying for the chocolate bar. You may draw the inference that, well, they didn't intend to steal the chocolate bar, right? They were 
you know, just, yes, they physically walked out of the store without paying for the chocolate bar, but just like in that and in this case, it turns on the mens rea or the why did the police officer uh, do what he did. Fascinating. Let's take our first break. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers will continue in just a moment. And this is Legally Speaking, continuing on CFAX 1070 with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Up next on the agenda, Michael, and as you have told us any number of times, family law cases can be among the most sensitive and at times be among the most acrimonious. Potentially, I would suspect that that is also true in cases of inheritance. I'm reading here a 91-year-old father and two adult children fighting over the father's home. What happened? Indeed, there's almost nothing that brings out the worst in people, <laughs> like fighting over uh, an estate or potential inheritance. Uh, and this case, I think, is a cautionary tale for people who are making estate plans in terms of how they do that and structure it, uh, and why it's so important to get proper legal advice before you go off and do something. And so this case involved a plaintiff who's a 91-year-old father, two adult children, who sounds like a bit of a tumultuous relationship with the adult children, um, and the background is that one of the adult children, the younger of the uh, two, who's a real estate agent, as it happens, hmm. um, found that back in 2008, uh, the now 91-year-old father uh, had, had a document prepared uh, intended to transfer his home, which he owned clear title in Kelowna, uh, to the other child. Uh, and uh, he had this uh, document uh, prepared that was like the transfer documents, but there was a note on it by the then deceased lawyer, which said, this transfer will not be used except with your consent or in the event your health fails and there's no likelihood of recovery. So it looks like what the father had done was to sort of put in place this transfer of his home to give it to have it transferred to the other child. Hmm. When the other adult child found this unexecuted, unexecuted uh, document, it probably gave her some concern that she was going to miss out on some inheritance. Yeah. Uh, and so she went to her father uh, and said, oh, my goodness, uh, you've got to do something about this. The other uh, child could throw you out of your home. You need to immediately take action to stop that from happening. And the elderly father uh, made uh, an appointment uh, with a notary. Uh, rather than a lawyer, because he didn't want to spend the money hiring a lawyer, it would appear. Mm. And notaries will sort of do transactions, but they're not there to give you legal advice, right? No. They're there to sort of perform a transaction. Yeah. And so the father went into this notary um, and made uh, asked the notary to transfer his home into joint tenancy with the, the younger child who found this previous document. Um, and when you put something in joint tenancy, real property, one of the effects of that is that if one of the joint tenants passes away, the other person inherits all of it hmm. immediately and outside of a will. Really? And huh. that's one of the reasons why some people would do that as an estate planning technique in order to avoid the 1.4% probate fee that you might otherwise pay if something was in a will. And so sometimes people do that as a, matter, a way to try to avoid that tiny tax. But one of the challenges with that, as is discovered here, is that once you do that, it's done. Um, and so the father did this. The notary obviously had some concern about whether this was an appropriate thing or whether there was some undue influence. Um, uh, and the notary, uh, I think, checked with the 
uh, father again, who said that, no, he was 100% positive, and he wanted to proceed with the transfer. So the notary diligently went ahead and did that and prepared another uh, document saying that this was indeed a gift, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that got filed. The father then realized, oh, my goodness, that's not what I wanted, um, and tried to undo this, so went to court. And so this was the application by the 91-year-old father trying to undo this transfer of the home into joint tenancy, because wow. the effect of that is that basically he's given his entire home to one of his children. He has no way to undo that. And when he passes away, she will just get all of it. And he didn't want that. Uh, so he went to court asking to undo it. Uh, but unfortunately for him, he was unsuccessful. Uh, his lawyer made uh, novel arguments about uh, sort of an equitable principle that's been recognized in some other jurisdictions, but the judge was unclear whether that applied and found that, look, here, the father um, didn't appear to have some undue influence put on him. He went to the notary. He confirmed with the notary that he wanted to give his home as a gift by putting it into joint tenancy. The notary did what was asked of them. Um, the uh, the notary said that uh, he believed he told the man he should get legal advice, but uh, the lawyer, the notary just did what he was told, which is kind of what the notary is there to do. Hmm. Um, and so uh, the result uh, is that uh, the uh, younger child, the real estate agent, uh, will keep the home. Wow. Uh, and the judge pointed out that, you know, this case uh, shows why it's always preferable people try to resolve these disputes privately. Uh, and uh, obviously was unimpressed with the uh, approach taken by the uh, younger daughter, or by the younger daughter, saying that, you know, she uh, is taking a position that uh, her position is contrary to the wishes of her father, uh, ignoring what his current wishes are in favor of uh, a uh, earlier uh, desire that uh, benefits her. Hmm. Um, and so the judge was obviously quite critical uh, about how this was done, but ultimately found that no, this is all in order. Uh, and the uh, transfer was effective. And so the net effect is going to be the uh, when the father passes away, the one child, the younger child, is going to get the entire value of the home. Uh, and so takeaways here would include, boy, would it have been better had he spent the money to get some independent legal advice about what he was doing yeah. and the effect of it and the fact that it may be irrevocable. right? Unlike with a will, right? Yeah. somebody makes out a will saying something, you can change your mind, right? Yeah. Hey, I was going to do this. I thought about it. No, probably not fair to give everything to one child. I'm going to fix that, and you yeah. can fix it. But if you do this, um, you may, in your effort to save on some legal fees or save on some probate fees, you may put yourself in a position where you just can't take it back. Uh, and so my advice would be, when you're making these kind of big decisions, get some legal advice from a lawyer that you trust uh, to make sure you're not uh, doing something that could lead to a very unfair result at the end of the day, which you may not be able to take back. Uh, and here is an example of exactly that. Huh. Interesting. So I I guess, and I'm sorry if, if, if you mentioned this, I don't recall. So I suppose the one child cannot be relied upon to just sort of sell the home and give half to the other sibling because there's obviously some disagreement there. It sure sounds that way, right? Yeah. You know, if she was uh, being... Uh, you know, uh, respecting the wishes of her father now, she would say, oh, yes, fair enough, I, I'm not going to take advantage of this, but it's very clear 
that she was taking the position, no, you've done this and that's mine and I'm not prepared to undo it. Wow. Um, and the father's unable to do so in court. And so the judge was clearly critical of her for that conduct, right? You know, taking this position and taking a position that advantages herself uh, and not respecting what her father currently wishes. Uh, but the judge's task was to figure out, look, was this a valid uh, transfer of the home into joint tenancy? Yes, it was. Um, and so uh, it's just really unfortunate uh, for the family, for the father, and for everyone involved uh, that this is how it played out. And it's something that probably could have been avoided uh, had the uh, father gotten some good legal advice at the time about what it really means to put something into joint tenancy and how you may not be able to take that back uh, if you do that. And so um, that's just uh, an unhappy uh, result, but uh, that's what's going to play out for this family. Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. We've got 60 seconds left in our segment today. Sure, I can do this in 60 seconds. Another interesting case that came out uh, involving an application for continued child support for a child who turned 19. Uh, and it's interesting because when you turn 19, presumptively child support obligations end. They can continue if a child has a disability or is unable to is going to university or things like that. Uh, and the case was interesting because the application to keep getting child support was brought by the mother who had been the recipient of the child support. The judge found that when a child is a uh, an adult and they're applying to continue with child support, that application under the British Columbia Family Law Act must be made by the child, not by the parent receiving the child support. And so it's an interesting case because it would mean going forward, following this, uh, that uh, the adult child who, for example, is a student or has a disability and needs continued support, the application for continued child support would be need to be made by the child, the adult child, not by the parent who was the recipient of the child support. So I thought that was an interesting case, and it may have implications going forward in terms of how those applications are made. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Thank you for your time, as always. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too.